So what do you think about conferences? It's about giving your customer base or prospective customer base access to you. Oh, a lot of people will go and grab t-shirts to take home to their kids and they don't have any interest in the company at all. If people can get in easier, then people can like the product more and give us more money. You never had to do a booth? I don't think I've ever had a booth. I think it's always better to leave people... Asking for more. Hi, I'm Paul Berger, founder of Dark. I'm Edith Harba, CEO and co-founder at LaunchDarkly. And you're listening to To Be Continuous, a podcast about continuous delivery and software development. You can get in touch with us anytime at our Twitter handle, at ContinuousCast. The show is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. So as I was saying, a good lead is like you're starting in the story already. You're not just starting with like a question, like, what do you think of conferences? Or who am I, why am I here? Right, exactly. It's like... Yeah, you, know, you, you don't want it. it was a dark and stormy night. It was like, yeah, you know, someone walks in and I don't know, does something, someone gets murdered. Yeah, so what do you think about conferences? <laughs> <laughs> oh god, depends on whether I'm going or whether whether I'm going for work or whether I'm going for like pleasure. Oh, dramatically you actually, affects. You go to conferences for pleasure? I have done. I would say not recently. But like went to Strange Loop last year. Strange uh-huh. Loop is amazing. And I would say that that's like it's definitely the best conference I've ever been to. What did you like about it? Largely the audience. Like it's it's a it's an uncommercial conference. Yeah. And I mean there's, you know, sponsorships and that sort of thing. But it's it's just like a lot of people talking largely about like programming languages, distributed systems, that kind of thing. Stuff you can't stand talking about. Stuff I can't stand talking about. You gotta sit down, you like it that much. Right, exactly. I don't know if it was quite a goal, but like our intent was like talk to a lot of people about dark, give them a lot of demos. So there was definitely a work component going, but like between the parties and the like, they have this amazing party in the city museum, which has like these like five story slides in them or ten story slides or something. It ended up being just like a lot of fun as well. We're actually going to time the launch party for Dark with Strange Loop. We're going to do it in St. Louis this year. Oh, cool! Um, and uh, invite uh, all the people who've who've seen Dark or who just want to see Dark to uh, to the launch. So that's funny. So, what, uh, what do you see as the purpose of a launch party? Because Launch Darkly never did one. But did you do a, a dark launch? I think the closest we did to a launch party was um, after we closed our seed round. We had a meetup here at Heavybit, right? And we bought T-shirts. Nice. Like to, up to that point, I had considered T-shirts too extravagant. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those things, and this is sort of related to what you're asking about conferences. It's like there's a lot of marketing strategies that done well can work and done poorly can fail dramatically. And I think um, having a, like an official launch is, is one of those things that like you know can just be nothing or you can turn it into something good. Well, it was the whole Steve Blank thing of don't launch. Mm-hmm. So I would say ours takes into this Steve Blank thing. It's like, a, you, you know, Airbnb launched three times and it's like, first two known as listening, so who cares? <laughs> uh, keep keep launching until <laughs> until it uh, until it takes off. And their third one was was uh, it taking off. So we've done things that like you know are vaguely launch like. So we had like a recruiting post where we were looking for uh, an EIR to build stuff in Dark. That was nearly a year ago, and so like that was an opportunity for people to hear about Dark, almost a content marketing opportunity. And th- this is sort of the same. There's an audience of people who seem to be extremely interested in either dark specifically or the same sort of thing. And people are looking for, for stuff to do. So we're 
going to have an event and we're going to tie that to, we're going to release a video of Dark to the world at large, but Dark will not actually be open at that point. So it'll still be like a pre-release thing. We'll be, we'll be switching from a private alpha to private beta. This is a granularity that I, I kind of cringe at. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, a, uh, it's really not important. It's like you, you, you release version 7 of your software. It's like, why did we do that? Well, you know, that gives us an opportunity to, to have an announcement. Yeah, I mean, my theory is that the last really successful launch parties went out after Windows 95. I remember Windows 95 coming out. Like, I spent so much time reading about Windows 95. Like when it was being released, they put so much money into that. The whole fucking world was talking about Windows ninety five. Yeah, which just now seems so dry. I mean, yes, but also it was like such a huge deal for the world at large. Yeah, why? Like, well, why, everyone we, in the world used the software. Yeah, were we just so much younger back then that like an OS was a big deal? Right. I mean, things didn't turn into this continuous delivery release. Yeah. Like it's like you have a new version of iOS. It's like actually pe- people care, but not as much. I think people care in a negative way. Oh, just like here's another annoyed piece of yeah. That's yeah, true. it's it's like when you see the pop up like, do you want to uh, mm-hmm. update your computer? You're like, no. Yeah. No, I'm fine. Leave I me would alone. Absolutely, like you to not shut down all my windows. If they were really good at keeping everything working the same, like you know, freeze a snapshot of something, update the kernel, load the snapshot, something like that. Like when my phone updates, it's no big deal. Like everything stays the same. But when my Computer updates it like fucks everything up, and I have to like go reset things. Yeah, one of my worst conference talks ever was um, I was setting up my laptop and everything worked just fine, mm-hmm. like projection on the screen, ready to go. Yeah. And then one of the AV techs came in and said, "Do you want a clicker?" And I'm like, "No, I'm fine. I don't need a clicker." And he's oh, like, no. "Let me just put it in." I'm like, "Do not touch yeah, yeah, my yeah, computer." Yeah. And he jammed it in, and it didn't work. And I'm like, "Take it out." He's like, "No, no, no. Let me just click this button, and then like reboot the entire machine." And it took 25 minutes to reboot. Why did it take 25 minutes to reboot? Because he had clicked enough to like, he was like, oh, I'll just install this driver. No. Murder. And you know, because he'd stuck in one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. I need this driver. And oh, like this needs to re- reboot Jesus to install the driver. Fucking Christ. And like it was 10 minutes into my talk at this point. I'm yeah. just like, I'm just, This is like a minute before your talk or something. Yeah. Wow. And so he's like reboot, rebooted my entire computer and was installing all this stuff. Fifteen minutes of my talk, I said, "I'm just going to start without the slides." Yeah, yeah. But I was livid. I was like, "Do not touch my computer." Yeah. So you're saying you don't like conferences then? No, I love conferences. Mm-hmm. I think they're a very effective way to have high bandwidth communication. Do you mean from a people hearing about launch darkly sense? Or even just like here's an example. Right before this, we had a lunch for some of our customers and some of our prospects. Mm-hmm. Prospective customers or prospective hires? Prospective customers. Yeah. So we have a panel and then a lunch. And then afterwards, like somebody came up and in five minutes, he told me more about what was happening at his team than we learned in two years. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh, I loved your panel. Let me tell you about this and what's actually happening." Mm-hmm. And conferences are the same sort of thing. Yeah, just people have an opportunity to think about something and then talk face to face. It just suddenly you feel mm-hmm. comfortable in a way that you don't feel comfortable in email. So it's about giving sort of your your customer base or prospective customer base access to you. At least for us, like in the early days of Launch Darkly, I got invited to speak at a conference in Sydney, mm-hmm. and they paid for my travel, so I went. Nice. Yeah, and I gave a really neutral talk on just why feature flagging is good, mm-hmm. and after it. Two people came up and said, "We actually want a demo." Mm-hmm. 
they both became customers and uh-huh. like really valuable customers. Nice. All because I was there. Right, right. With Circle, we almost never did conferences. And I think one of the reasons for that was that uh, one of our major competitors, uh, Travis CI, they were amazing at conferences. They were just like a lot of open source people. They went to all the conferences. And then when, when they went to the conferences, they did like workshops afterwards, like set up your open source with Travis. And like we didn't work with open source at the time, we do now. And so it's like, do we want to compete at this? Where they're already like we would be going to the same conferences, right? Yeah. The, or do we want to like focus on our own thing? And in the end, we spent that time focusing on product, which ended up being a differentiator, and more on content in terms of marketing. Definitely, one of them wasn't going to be a successful strategy, but I think with Dark that'll be different. With Dark, a lot of people are going to want to see a demo, want to hear about Dark. Like I imagine, conferences are going to be a much bigger thing for Dark. Yeah, I think I want to be clear that I don't think conferences are a cure-all for all products. Mm-hmm. I think they work well when you're evangelizing or mm-hmm. doing something new that people want to feel a connection with. Mm-hmm. There's also the kind of company that you are. So you're yeah. you're a top-down sell, is that right? I'd, I'd say we're kind of middle and around. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Like We really need to convince a team lead or director to use us. Okay. So at a conference, who is it that hears you, and then the like? Who, who becomes a lead for you? Usually, it's a mix of they've seen our website, and I'll find this out now. They've seen a lot of our content online, and they're coming to a talk to learn more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or like they've seen some stuff, and they are an engineer, a team lead, engineer, team lead. Yeah. And they're like, "Hey, my manager sent me to your booth to check this out." Gotcha. Yeah, Circle was a very like bottom up. It was an engineer set up for their team, and we're doing a lot more top down these days. Like people can actually reach out and talk to a salesperson and have someone help them purchase if they're a large company, that kind of thing. But at the time, it was you know everyone got started on like the fifty dollar plan or even the twenty dollar plan, and then they they grew from there. Yeah, that was our original thesis. I mean, we we had a forty nine dollar plan, but nobody signed up for it. Mm-hmm. Everybody needed to get buy-in at least to the team lead level, so they just auto-selected to higher levels. Mm-hmm. Do you have freemium? We never had freemium deliberately. Uh, interesting. I had been at Tripit, which was a freemium product, mm-hmm. and it's a marketing channel. Mm-hmm. Like you basically, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I think some people don't really understand that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it doesn't bring you in money, then it's got to do something. Oh, I got into this heated discussion with another CEO. It's like, well, it just gets you a lot of eyeballs, and the VCs give you more money. And I'm like, well, until they don't. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, it's not, not how I view the world. Yeah, like TripIt, we converted good in our class, so yeah. around two to three percent of users converted to paid. Mm-hmm. But if you do the back of envelope math of how many people you have to get on your free tier, yeah. And what you have to charge. It's interesting how kind of different it is for different industries. Like SaaS, like nine percent is is unheard of. Yeah. You know, three percent is um, pretty good. But then you get things like GitHub, for example. Every software engineer has a GitHub account. And who knows what percentage that actually turns to? Maybe it's only like a three percent. They've just seen so much GitHub that that at this time three percent is a lot. But there are companies where everyone in an industry use them. Yeah. So for conferences, I think it's like freemium. I think it is a strategy, but I don't think it works for everybody. Like mm-hmm. I've seen people, it's so easy to spend millions of dollars of yeah. conferences. Yeah. If you have a misaligned sales and marketing team who is aligned just to like, hey, we're incented by how many beanie babies we give away. Mm-hmm. 
So you, you mean that you need to incentivize people by sales qualified leads? Yeah, I mean for every conference we go to, we look mm-hmm. at the complete cost of the conference, yeah. including travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So like we cost in when we're thinking about going to a conference. So we, how much does a, a, a normal conference cost you? It depends. Like let's say a, a regional conference in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Let's say a sponsorship is twenty k, fifteen twenty k, and then we also cost in travel. Of course, yeah. Which so from here it's. Five hundred a person. How many people go? Let's say four people go. Mm-hmm. Round trip flight is four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Hotels. Four hotels in Seattle is expensive in the summer. Yeah. So three hundred dollars for two nights. Yeah. So it, it adds up quickly. And what about things like um, prep time? Do you manage to factor all that into the the total cost of ownership? When we look at a conference, uh-huh. what we look at is we just look at do we manage it with the pipeline out of it? Yeah. And uh, then closed. Okay. Okay. And so it sounds like you're talking 30k for a conference, a very smallish one. Yeah, like AWS, uh, much much more. Right. Spend 100k for AWS. Depends how big a booth we get. Right, right. How many people would you send? I think this year we sent six. Mm-hmm. So in the early days, I was the only booth person. Yeah, yeah. And I, I had a little tiny booth in the back. Yeah, no, literally the first time I went to Web Summit, it was just me, and I just stood there. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, our first conference as a company was build or eight people at it at the times so we rotated everybody out, like right. including the engineers, because mm-hmm. it was a three day conference. You can have one person stand there for eight hours a day, but it is exhausting. Yeah, I can imagine. So you want to have some sort of rotation where somebody can take a break. I don't think I've ever had a booth. You never had to do a booth? Not that I can think of now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I did it all in the early days and I was so happy when I no longer had to go in regular rotation. Yeah, like if I'm thinking about a booth now, that probably means we'd have to get like put together marketing materials, and yeah, we never did any of that either. I mean, you can be pretty basic. Like the first time we did Microsoft Build, we just made a sign, and then we had a little leave behinds mm-hmm. stickers. I don't think we had stickers back then. It was not super elaborate. And it was funny, one of our engineers wanted to experiment with bookmarks, and so we made bookmarks and nobody took them, but it was a pretty cheap experiment. Do you feature flag your, your experiments in, in real life? Up until the B round, mm-hmm. we were pretty ruthless about we would only go to conferences we thought we would definitely get leads from. Mm-hmm. Like We're like, okay, we're not going to go to this one because... Yeah. Like It's funny, like uh, we didn't want to go to Java 1 because we were like, mm-hmm. we'd been there as engineers, we didn't think that was our market. Right, okay. You think Java engineers don't use feature flags that much? We thought that they were on a different release cadence. <laughs> um, that was extremely delicately put. When we got more money, we had more money when we could experiment more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like so, when we raised our C round, which was forty-four million dollars, mm-hmm. we could be like, okay, let's try to go to more conferences. Right. Let's be vigilant about tracking costs. Mm-hmm. Do you find that there's a significant difference in the number of leads between whether you're speaking or whether you're just attending? Absolutely. Like the best thing is to have somebody speaking. Mm-hmm. And then the booth can be a driver. Mm-hmm. Like so, what I do is I give very vendor neutral talks, but I could say, "Hey, if you're interested in learning about the company, we have a booth." Yeah, yeah. And so that sends people down. Yeah. If you just have a booth and nobody's speaking, it is harder because mm-hmm. you're kind of hoping that somebody is walking around looking for stuff to buy. Yeah, exactly. And then you also have to be careful about t-shirts. What what specifically do you have to be careful about? Oh, and by the way, thank you for wearing your Launch Darkly t-shirts. I, I got it at a Launch Darkly conference. <laughs> oh, a lot of people will go and grab T-shirts to take home to their kids, and they don't mm-hmm. have any interest in the company at all. Right, right, right. So that's going to conferences. But you hosted your your first conference recently. 
trajectory? Trajectory. Oh. Has, has Circle done our conference yet? I don't think so, no. Wow, that surprises me. Yeah. You have so many customers. I don't know. And people. We also have a lot of people. Do you publicly say how many customers you have? Do you mean only paid customers? Because yeah. we, we have a lot of people who are relying on Circle. Do you release how many paying customers you have? We do not. Okay. Yeah. My last recollection was in for our Series A, we had a thousand customers. Wow, paying. Paying. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We didn't have a freemium tier at the moment, so a lot of them became premium when we launched freemium later. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, no, I mean it's it's not that much money. Like the lots of them are on like the twenty dollar plan. So they just went to freemium. The switch to freemium ate growth for like two months. It was like every dollar that we made was like worked against someone not upgrading or downgrading or something like that. Wow, that must have been a brutal month for your metrics. Two months. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And it was like, why aren't we growing? And it was like, we did not put together that it was freemium launched the previous month. Wow. So yeah. did you auto move people down or did they self-select? It was all self-selected. We, did, we didn't auto move anyone down. What we did though was we grandfathered people in. So there was a bunch of people who were getting the $100 value for like $20 because they were two grandfathers in and then they refused to move because like the jump was too big. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't perfectly managed, but like, you know, the number of customers that were affected by this is like 10 or 20. Oh, okay. Uh, and then the number of people who like downgrade, there's only like a thousand who could potentially downgrade. And most of them were, were actually, it was probably only half that. So like it, it wasn't necessarily that big a deal, but it's just like... Well, I'm doing some quick math, so mm-hmm. you're charging 20 bucks a month. Well, some people were on the 20, some people were on the 50. Oh, that could be a hit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, it was at the time where we're doing a million a year, probably around then. What made you say to do the free meme at the time? I don't really know, it's just like... It's one of those things I, I hold to be true, that like if people can get in easier, then, then people can can like the product more and give us more money. I guess partially with CI there's a lot of expansion revenue. Expansion revenue will often be larger than acquisition revenue in a, in a particular month. So, you know, the easier it is for them to get in and like we had our first plan as like $50, then we dropped the plan to $20 and it's like free, you know, like we're not losing that much revenue. Yeah, what we discovered at Tripit was the amount of friction between 29 and 49 was the same. Hmm, interesting. Like people were just as likely to pay as forty nine or twenty nine. Yeah, Tripit didn't have significant competitors. Am I right? Oh, it had many competitors. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, we had a ton of competitors at the time. Gotcha. It feels like there was a whole movement around CI at the same time, and so like I saw a new competitor every month. Wow. And there was a bunch of established competitors. We're the biggest now. I'm not sure that we were the biggest for the life of the company. Certainly in the early years, probably us and Travis were, were roughly the same size. And there was a bunch of competitors that have since died off or got acquired. Or I mean, Travis kind of no more, really. Oh, it makes me very sad. I don't know any more than people know publicly, but yeah, like it didn't end in the way one would hope. What made you sad about it? So Travis sold to, um, I think, Adira is, is the name of it? Some private equity. Yeah, relatively small private equity thing. So like the, the sale price was like 10, 20 ish million, probably. Feels like it was, you know, feels like it was a better company than that. Feels like it was worth more, and feels like it had a better future. And I just, I personally have no idea like what went wrong. And then they came in with the, uh, you know, laying people off, and it felt like, and uh, I'm, I'm sort of quoting people on Hacker News here rather than giving my own opinion, but it felt like the story became extracting out the revenue streams 
and lowering costs rather than like actually continuing to reinvest in in the space. Yeah, that's kind of the story of private equity. Right. And it feels like it is not the time for that to happen to, to CI. There's so much more to do. Yeah. The other reason we never did freemium at Launch Darkly is there's a ton of perceived value about having to pay for something. Mm-hmm. Like at the beginning days, like I mean, Circle was a really early customer of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't about the money, it was whether you trusted us. Mm-hmm. I mean, over time, you build up that trust naturally by just having a brand. So people yeah. people will try you out. Like people will, will connect their whatever to you without having a conversation in a way that they would never do when you were, you know, when it's just the Edith and John show. <laughs> yeah. It is so much easier these days. In the early days, there are the two huge hurdles. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tie this back to conferences. Mm-hmm. The two huge hurdles were do you believe in feature flagging? Mm-hmm. Like at all? And sure, sure, sure. Like, do you believe that this is a valid way to build software? Mm-hmm. And there was a ton of that. Right. What what year were we? This is in twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels like the uh, like this podcast didn't exist. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of stuff out there about continuous delivery. Yeah. That was a joke. There was there certainly wasn't as much by like an order of magnitude. Feature flagging, like I mean, I would still get invited back then to sites, mm-hmm. and they would say convince us about why we should be feature flagging. Right, right. Like convince us that this does is that a- happen anymore, or are they like significantly larger customers for whom that happens, or more conservative customers? So there was two hurdles in the early days. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in feature flagging? Mm-hmm. And you believe that our company is a reliable vendor? Yeah, yeah. And those are both two huge hurdles. Mm-hmm. Like I would go and I remember and pitch these big e-commerce sites about why they should feature flag, mm-hmm. and then it was, the second step was, well, why us? Yeah, yeah. Do you trust us? Yeah, we only had the second one of those. So for Circle, there was like this movement happening around CI, and already the a bunch of parts of it had happened had moved to the cloud. So the the Heroku, the the hosting had had become cloudy, and the source control had had moved to to GitHub, so that had become cloudy. And there was this step in between that was not yet in the cloud. And it feels like around 2012, there just started to be this movement where everyone's like, oh yeah, we need CI and we need it to be in the cloud. And we didn't have to do anything for it. So the only thing we have to trust people is like, why would we give you our source code? And it was at a time where giving people your source code seemed crazy. Seemed, yeah. seemed just like crazy you talk. could not do it. And then as the company got bigger, like we, we had to convince people of that at the start, but you know, a year or two in, just questions stopped coming up. People had heard of us, and that was enough. Yeah, the the shift happened. I think over the last two years, where like now it's the our dev evangelists are much more on the road than me. Mm-hmm. You know, so they'll ask questions like, "Are you currently feature flagging?" Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. And it used to be like two or three hands would go up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the rest of the people had just come to the talk to learn about this. Yeah. And now, like, I gave a talk in Chicago at the CTO summit. And I said, who here is currently feature flagging? Every hand went up. Nice, nice. So it had switched from, should I do this, to how should I do this the right way? Right. Are you competing against people rolling their own feature flags? I don't think of that as competition at all. I think of that as an on-ramp. Oh yeah, nice, nice. Have you practiced that well? Is there a lot of like VC pitches where, where you've got asked that question? No, I honestly believe it. I uh-huh. mean, we, we put out a ton of content about how to build your own system because mm-hmm. it's like if you built your own system, you don't want to do it again. Right, right, right. Like I was just at a lunch and learn with the VP of engineering from Rollbar, mm-hmm. and he talked about how he'd had to build his own system at Cisco, mm-hmm. and he's like, never. Again, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and then uh, the VP of engineering at 
drone to play. Yeah. And he had to build his own system at exact target. And mm-hmm. he's like, never again. Wow. If you've built your own, mm-hmm. you don't want to build it again. Right. I imagine that there's a lot of like orchestration things that are, and they're all switching to, to Kubernetes, obviously. But there was for a time, oh, there's a bunch of things that are like Kubernetes, and like everyone is like, I built one of these, it was fucking horrendous. I, yeah. Because yeah. everyone built one before they existed. Like, even, even if you didn't call it an orchestration system, it was like you wrote a bunch of software that orchestrated a lot of like cloud or containers or VMs or, or something like that. Yeah. So a lot of our conference strategy is just telling people there's a better way. Mm-hmm. And if you want to build it yourself, here's how to do it mm-hmm. and have fun. Yeah. At the start of dark, we were like we were keeping quite quiet about what we were doing. You were Ke- keeping it dark. <laughs> uh, thank you. I got there first. But now we're now we're just like writing it up. Yeah. So I have a bunch of blog posts. We wrote one it's called "What Is Dark." It's on our blog, and it just like lays out the way that we think about the world. And I had previously been very nervous about like other people, you know, getting this idea and and running with it. And and now it's just like nah. It's a challenge to even convince people that this is a good idea or that it's even yeah. possible. So, like, just tell everyone. Yeah, like that's always my theory. Like, we shout and hope somebody listens. Right, right. Does that lead to lead to competitors at all? Oh, of course. But you know, competition is good. It it makes you focus on what you think you're good at. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we have such massive scale now. Yeah. We helped Intuit at Tax Day. Wow. I am very proud of our customers and what they're accomplishing. Mm-hmm. I think we went heavy on conferences, but we were always very careful about not just throwing money in the wind, Mm -hmm. but trying to account for where it was generating results. Mm -hmm. And then um, we did our first conference, and that was so much fun. How was trajectory? It was a blast. Nice. What I hadn't realized is that full customers came, Mm -hmm. people who were interested in us came. I hadn't realized that people who were thinking about joining us came. Oh, that's obvious now that you say it out loud. Yeah, like we had an yeah. offer out to a salesperson, and he came to the conference because he wanted to get a feel for how excited the customers were. Uh huh. And he went home that night and he signed the contract. Nice, nice. But uh, we had people who were thinking about joining us who wanted to get a feel for mm-hmm. the exact quote from the salesperson was, "Do people actually care about this, or mm-hmm. are they just here because their boss sent them?" Right, right, right. I went to the uh, Honeycomb. User conference. I was there too. Uh, right, right. And I'd never seen this before, but they barely had a schedule at all. It they was had, an unconference. Right, right. And that was like they had what two talks or something, and then everything else was like these. Write your name on the thing. There's a facilitator. There's like twelve people sitting around talking about a thing. Uh, it was really good. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting feedback we got on our conference was we were trying to make it again very vendor neutral. Mm-hmm. So it was all about talks from our customers, and then yeah. even talks from non-customers. Mm-hmm. Like one of the most popular talks was uh, Josh Wills, who's at Slack. Mm-hmm. And he talked about the feature flagging system he'd built at Google mm-hmm. and the challenges there. Right, right, right. So not a customer at all, just somebody yeah. who's in the field. The feedback we got was that people wanted a little bit more from LaunchDarkly. Interesting. Because like we'd held. I mean, isn't that the feedback that you got before when people wanted demos and you had you had kept it vendor neutral? I think it's always better to leave people. Asking for more. Yeah, I think we went a little too slim because I gave a five-minute opener, mm-hmm. and John Kodomo, my co-founder, gave yeah. a five-minute closer. And people were like, well, we actually wanted like a roadmap. Right, 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 right. Was it multi-track? We did two tracks. Right, so you, you could have had like a launch darkly specific, 
you know, feature set, roadmap, you know, a fireside chat with the VP product. Yeah, it's funny because I think it was a reaction to people who'd been at companies where their conferences were very vendor specific. Yeah, 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 for sure. And so we'd gone way over to the other side where people yeah. were asking I've, for I've definitely been at conferences where like, you know, they sell a vendor slot and then you have the worst talk ever because it's it sold, they didn't have to like qualify. We usually don't buy slots, but we do buy slots at QCon. Mm-hmm. I didn't know QCon sold slots. They do, mm. but they're, you're on a specific vendor track, and they label uh, they label it as vendor track. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's very clear, like this is the vendor track. Yeah. But I was very happy because this year they keep track of how many people are attending each one, pre-registering. Mm. So they moved me to the second biggest room. Oh, nice. Because even though it was a, a vendor talk. Mm-hmm. People wanted to see Launch Sharkly and what we were up to. That's cool. Yeah. Huh? A final thing we should talk about is what conferences do you like to attend besides the one in St. Louis? So I kind of like language specific ones or stack specific. So if there's something where, so let's say Closure, uh, Closure Conj was, was one I went to before. Not only do you get to talk to people who have like a broad set of the same problems as you. You get to see like a lot of what's happening in the space and sort of what's what's sort of the the advanced front. Apart from that, I don't really go to much else. I'm not I'm not a significant conference goer, but the best conference I ever went to was the History of Programming Languages conference. I I will just like to say the best for you. The best the best for me. It was it was it was wonderful. But it was in like it was in two thousand seven. They they hold it every like fifteen years because it, <laughs> there's just not that much history. Uh, but it, it happened while I was doing my PhD, and I like, convinced my advisor to let me go. And it was next to all the other program language conferences like PLDI, and yeah, it was really great. And all the, you know, people who wrote programming languages were there. Are you going to go in twenty twenty two? I hope to go in twenty twenty two. Fifteen years later, right? Can speak in in twenty thirty seven. Hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed. Do you go to CTO conferences? Oh, I did go to to CTO summit. That was really good. Yeah. Somehow I got sucked into CTO Summit. I mean, a lot of the conferences I go to are just like kind of you go to hang out with your friends. Yeah, I mean that's the way I think of heavy bit events. And, right. And I really enjoy them because I get to see people who are also care a lot about developer tools. Right, right. But like CTO Summit, like I know 15, 20 people who go to it. And yeah, something I try to be very careful of, and I love CTO Summit because I think it's the perfect size of around 150. Mm-hmm. So you still feel comfortable walking up to somebody and saying, "What do you think of that talk?" Mm, right, right. Like at AWS, I would not just walk up to some stranger and say, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." For our dark, the uh, the the launch party, we had like a planning session for today, and we're like, we're talking about like icebreakers and yeah. that kind of thing, and like make it make it easier for all the introverts to to actually like enjoy themselves. Yeah, I think up to about 100, you can still feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, it starts to break into clicks. Right, right. And it's it's so big that you can't just pick a random stranger to talk to. Yeah, or just feel comfortable that they're not going to be like, this is yeah. weird. What is your favorite conference to go to? Oh, gosh. You know, I love the heavy bit events. Mm-hmm. Oh, they, yeah, they're, they're wonderful. I like the Dev Guild stuff because uh, people come up from LA or in from out yeah, of town. Yeah. I love the CTO Summit events. Mm-hmm. I'm very fond of Glucon, and I couldn't go this year. Mm, yeah, Glucon is cool. Yeah. Yeah. You should go to Strange Loop. Come to our party. <laughs> Do I get a T-shirt? 
Thanks for listening to this episode of To Be Continuous, brought to you by Heavybit and hosted by me, Paul Baker of Dark, and Edith Harbaugh of Launch Darkly. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. While you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. 